Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. Uh, well, welcome. It's, I, I'm really happy to be with you today. I, I love uh, getting a chance to talk on what we're going to get to talk about today. And as a matter of fact, you got one of two messages. I've been looking at this passage for about two, two or three weeks now. And so I picked number one. So there's a number two. And if it starts going bad, I'll just go to number two message. So we're going to try with number one. Um, my intro goes something like this. Do you... Uh, what do you think about rescue movies? I love movies about rescue. Like, what are the best rescue movies that have rescue as a theme? I think, now, the one that comes to mind for me is Saving Private Ryan, right? Saving Private... I remember the first time I saw Saving Private Ryan, I've probably seen it 20 times, and everyone knows what that... Is there anyone that's never seen Saving Private Ryan? <gasps> Anyways, you should go see it. It's very good, but very dramatic. I remember I was there with my buddies, about three or four guys, and we were there with our wives in uh, Columbus. Where I think we were in Columbus, Ohio, and we went to see Saving Private, and all the guys are there just, oh, you know, weeping and stuff, and all the women are looking at the guys. All of our wives are saying, what's the problem? And, you know, we just felt the, you know, but he went after the one that was lost and rescued, you know, Saving Private Ryan. And so rescue movies really touch me. Um, even like, for example, there can be rescue, you know, times of war, like Saving Private Ryan. There's also rescue of love, right? You know, so one of the ones that I know, I don't see a lot of romantic comedies. The last one I saw was in 1998, which is You've Got Mail, right? Everyone's seen that one. And it's kind of this, you know, there's, a, there's a Tom Hanks, who I love as an actor, and he, um, you know, he was in this situation where he had lost his wife, and just, you never saw whether he was going to be able to come back from that, and you see that there's this love that happens um, over, um, over mail and, and these, these two uh, really people that were in competing industries and things like that, and they fall in love, and he's rescued, you know, and you just feel it, and you think, oh, this is so nice that now he gets to love again. Um, and so there's rescue of love. There's also, I think, uh, and probably now my favorite one, because Rescue Movie Now is rescuing a curmudgeon. Because I am at the age where I can turn into a curmudgeon, and that movie's called Up. Have you ever seen that? You know, so I, we went to, to see this movie with our grandmother, and this was awful, <laughs> you know, because it really is, it's this movie about a, a guy who had dreams, and towards the end of his life, he was kind of getting curmudgeon-y, and then he has this, dream that he follows to go to this um, faraway place to fulfill the dream that him and his wife had. And also there's a wonderful dog in there, squirrel, and, <laughs> and also a, a little boy that just, uh, you know, just brings his heart around. Um, I love these movies, and I, I cry at almost every one of them because you feel the intensity when people need rescued. And the book we're going to look at today is Galatians. And Galatians is a book about res rescue. 
If you turn to Galatians, if you've got your digital copy of the Bible um, or actual copy, if you look at Galatians 1, verses 3 through 5, it says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that neat? Whenever you think of what God did, is he went and saw humanity and said, humanity needs rescued. I'm going to do what it takes to rescue them. That's why we sit here today as believers in Jesus Christ, because God our Father decided to rescue us. You know, the letter to the Galatians is, you know, written to, uh, written by Paul to uh, Galatia, and the, and the church is there, and this would be in modern-day Turkey, so if you look at Israel and you, you go up kind of north, you would see in the um, area right around where Turkey is today, um, that's where that, that would have, um, the letter would have been written to the churches there. And what Paul's really addressing in this letter and what we're finding in the reason that we title the uh, message that we did, New Life Leaving Religion Behind, is because Paul's saying, look, you know, God has rescued you. God has rescued you, and yet you're turning back to religion. So warning, you're turning back from freedom that God rescued you into a freedom, into a relationship with him, and you're giving all of that back to say, no, I want to go back to religion. I want to go back to being acceptable to God because of what I do. That, that you're good enough, that you do the things God wants you to do. And so that's the, the, the law that was put on the, the Jewish people. And the, the uh, people that were doing this were called the Judaizers. And so what they were is they were a group of Christians that believed in Jesus Christ, but then they started to say, oh, it's not quite enough. Jesus is not quite enough. You need to do these other things. Um, the Old Testament laws here and the ceremonies and and some of the dates we celebrate, we, we need to bring these back in and make sure that everyone's circumcised. And, you know, all of these things from the Jewish law, the Judaizers were, were bringing that back in, even though Paul, through Jesus Christ, was sharing a message of freedom. And so we have this short letter that, that Paul actually writes. And if you look in Galatians and you look in Romans, these are probably the two books that if you're wondering as a Christian who I am, like what am I about when I say I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ, what I'm about, I would say Galatians and Romans really give us our identity, you know, what that stamp looks like that we have on our hearts. And what we find is it's not because of the rules or the set of things that we do, but it's because of the substance of the Holy Spirit living in you, identifying you, as a son and daughter of, of God. And that's what the identity of a Christian is. And the passage we're going to look at today starts out like that. Let's go to Galatians 4, and we're going to start at verse uh, 4. And this is probably, I would say this in Romans, is probably the best thing that identifies who we are as Christians. And it says this, but when the set time had, come, had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, 
born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You know, that Abba, Father, that, that intimate, tender calling that you would hear the, the children in the streets um, say in Aramaic, you know, Abba, we would be having happy Abba Day if, if they were here today. And in Aramaic, you know, it's this, in, it's this term of daddy, this intimate term of not only the relationship a child has with the father, but also the trust that a child has with the father. This intimacy and trust was found in that word Abba. And he goes on to say, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So we have an inheritance with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how you feel about this. I read that passage and I'm like, that's not how I feel. You know, there are so many times, I, I mean, I don't feel like an heir with Jesus Christ. I kind of feel like kind of a mess up a lot of times. And that's why whenever we talk about having faith in what God did, that's where we put our trust in. Because I certainly don't feel like a son of God a lot of times. Jeanette lives with me. She probably says, you know what? You don't look like a son of God all the time either. You know? So, but the only thing that allows me to stand here and say I am a son of God is because he said it, not me. And I have faith in what God says every single time. I don't have faith in what I feel. I don't have faith in how I judge things, but I do have faith in what God says. And he says I'm a son of God, so I'm going to take that to the bank. And I'm going to live my life out, out like that. That gives me the identity of who I am. So we're kind of in this situation then that in that, that first set of verses, you know, Paul really says, look, this is who you are. You're a son of God. You have an inheritance that's coming that you share with Jesus Christ. But I need to give you a warning. There's some people out there trying to take that away from you. And there's some things out there that are trying to distort that relationship. Let me give you a couple warnings about that. And one of them we're going to look at here, and it continues on in Galatians 4.8, and really gives us the one thing that we're going to really tackle today and, and look at today and question uh, today. And it's, it starts in verse 8 in chapter 4. It says this, Formerly when you did not know God, you were slave to those who by nature are not gods. But now you know God, or rather are known by God. How is it that you are turning back again to those wicked, meet, miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. You know, Paul's being real honest in this letter. He goes, you know, are you crazy? You've got this freedom that's been given to you, and you're going to turn back to the religion of rules and things you do. I, and you can kind of hear the frustration. You know, didn't you listen to what I said the first time? You know, he's kind of frustrated here. And I think this pa passage really challenges us with one primary question, and that is, 
Who or what are the not gods that try to enslave us? If you look at that phrase, not God, who are those things? What are those things in our lives that continually try to enslave us? And I love the generality of this definition that he didn't just say here idols or something like that because we would have keyed in on this, but it's kind of this general statement. It's like anything that's not God that you put in your life that takes the place of God. You know, it's this idol that distracts you from worship and reliance on the one true God. You know, I, I, I kind of came up in my mind um, with how we get to this point. You know, usually it starts with a distraction, you know, like squirrel. No. So usually it starts with a distraction. You know, it's as old as time. You're going along, you're living your Christian life, and something distracts you. Something says, is this really right? And then you start taking your eyes off God, and you start saying, you know, this other thing feels pretty good, feels pretty right. And then you start doubting the Word of God, just like in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? You know, you start think, saying things like that. Could God really love people like that? Or, or does God really care about, you know, all of these things that distract us and then we doubt the Word of God, and suddenly, over a time, we'll stop listening to God and His Word, and we'll start listening to the not-God, to that other thing, that voice inside our heads that are, are guiding us to something to worship that's not God. You know, our not-God tries to enslave us, and it can be anything. You know, you think of activities and stuff around us. You know, sports could be a not God. You know, how many times have you canceled something to attend a game you wanted to see? Or entertainment. How many times do you go and like stream seven straight hours of some Netflix show? I've done that. Um, <laughs> how many times do you have a hobby that you just need that one more of the 10 things that you already have? You know, how many times do you take a substance like alcohol or drugs or even food, you know, to provide a ha habitual solution to whenever you feel pain? Um, all of these things, these activity and stuff, in and of themselves, they're not bad, but they can start to replace God. They can start to be the not gods in our lives. The other thing that, that I think has been something that I think more recently within the last 10 years that, that can be the not God are groups that we associate with. You know, that's the one thing over the last year and a half. There's the mass group and the no mass group, the vaccine group, the no vaccine group. There's the Democrats, Republicans, Socialists. There's ideologies that are all the isms, liberalism, conservatism, um, consumerism. There's groups that have a set belief in facts, you know, that are ethnic, race, racial, or gender identity based. There's... Um, conspiracy theories out there that people grab hold to, whether it's flat earthers or chemtrailers or Greg is really a ducker, I don't know, you know, so, you know, and I, I've tried to select this list, so now I should have offended everybody uniformly, <laughs> you know, so, but the thing that I've noticed is not, you know, some of these groups start off with great ideas and things like that, but the thing I've noticed is how much we take our identity from Jesus Christ and start putting it more with this group. That that's been more powerful. I, 
I used to be able to go and disagree with my best friends, but now I feel like I can't do that anymore sometimes. And some of that is even how we take facts. And I, th I think people today are factually broken. You know, I think that we don't do a really good job about learning what is true and what a fact is. You know, looking at credibility of sources or, or does the thing that I believe this truth from, are they open about the weaknesses of their argument? Uh, do you consider the bias of all the sources that you're taking in, that there may be an agenda there or that some of that agenda is they want you to be part of them so that they can feel more secure? Or do you believe this fact is more acceptable by the world and so it becomes more comfortable for you? And, you know, the way that the media positively portrays things, you think about that and, you know, there's not a lot of great Christian portrayals in the media anymore. You know, all of these things can really change the facts that we believe. Could the group that you're involved with, that you go and hit every single one of their Facebook posts, could that be one of the not gods in your life? The thing that's giving you more information than the Word of God? Maybe the other one would be religion. You know, and that's kind of the one that Paul talks about, that we focus on religion instead of doing what, focusing on what Jesus has done for us. If you look back at uh, chapter 4, verse 9, it says this, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. You're being enslaved again when we give you freedom. I mean, what was that like? You know, what was it like to really be under that law? You know, you can just look at numbers. Okay, so if you pick up and you go to numbers, let me see if I can find it. The Old Testament. Dust off the Old Testament. There we are. Thank you, Old Testament. Okay. You go to Numbers uh, chapter 28. So let, let's take a listen to what these months and days and seasons and years sound, sound like. Um, I'll start in verse 11. On the first day of every month, present to the Lord a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old, all without despot. With each bull, there is to be a grain offering of three-tenths to an ephod, the finest flour mixed with oil. Okay, let's go down to verse 16. On the 14th day, the first month of the Lord's Passover is held. On the 15th day of the month, there is a festival for the seven days. <laughs> you see how it's going on here. Let's go to 28. On the day of first fruits, when you present to the Lord an offering of new grain during the festival of weeks, hold a sacred assembly and no longer regular work. Present a burst offering offering of two young bulls, one ram, and seven male lambs, you know, you start seeing that, and you're like, thank you, Jesus, you know, <laughs> um, that's, that's what they were under, and Paul says, don't you see these things that, that did set you apart as Israel, as the children of God, but now Jesus Christ has come to open up relationship with God to everyone, 
based on what he did for you and based on the Holy Spirit living inside you, you're giving that up by going after this religion. You know, slave to rules and religion instead of freedom found in the relationship with God as sons and daughter of the Most High God, the Creator of the universe. You're giving that up for these months and years and days. You know, all of these things are just forms of idolatry, whether it's stuff, activities, groups that we're associated with that we hear and listen to more than God, or even religion, coming up with the things to do to make us feel closer to God. You know, these things hint of idolatry, of being the not-God. Tim Keller has a great definition of what is an idol. Tim Keller says this, What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. That is what an idol is. That is what a not God is that Paul was warning them about. So how do you figure this out? You know, I don't want not gods in my life. I don't want idols in my life that replace my worship with God. But I don't feel like I can do that on my own. You know, some of it takes my friends, you know, coming up to me every once in a while and saying, Greg, you've got a blind spot. Sometimes it takes the Holy Spirit in a situation to help me to realize that. Um, but, you know, let's take a practical approach here this morning. So we're going to take a quiz. Yes, that's right. I work at the University of Illinois as a professor, so I, I love quizzes. They're fantastic. Okay, so take out your phone. If you have a phone, you can use your notepad in your phone if you know how to do that. If you don't, James here, my wonderful assistant James, if you would like something to write on, you can take that. He's got pens there. I've spent no expense, <laughs> and I made sure there's no advertising on them so that you don't support it. No. <laughs> so, uh, so we're going to take a little quiz, and this is from um, J.D. Greer, who's a wonderful pastor that came up with the nine-question idolatry quiz. And this is just to help us define areas in our lives that maybe idols. And so what you're going to find is I'm going to go through nine questions, and I'm going to tell you some of the ones that I answered in public, <laughs> uh, just to help you out a little bit. But uh, these are just to find out, you know, are there some things that really are taking um, a different place in your life than it should be, okay? So let's look at the first, first uh, question here, and just fill in this blank. And these are one-word answers. You can type it into your phone or, or fill it into the uh, piece of paper there. The thing I'd be most worried about losing is... Okay, now don't write down God or Jesus. Okay, that's cheating. Okay. It could be anything, your family, money, reputation, success, a group you're associated with. Just be honest. This is only you and the husbands and wives. Stop looking over. Okay. <laughs> We'll put barriers up here, all right. So, you know, for me, for me, I'll tell you, uh, for me, it's a reputation. 
I'm probably uh, most worried about losing my rep reputation. I always want to look good in front of others. And I struggle with that. Um, that's why sometimes my moods go high or low depending on how work is going or how my preaching is going. <laughs> you know, I, I want to have a good reputation. So what are you most worried about losing? Question number one. Question number two. The thing I'd be most worried about never attaining is that you're worried about never attaining. This could be husbands, kids, wife, maybe an education, a good job, maybe financial security. So what is it for you? And number three is if I could change blank about myself right now, I would. Now, change is great, and this may not be bad that you write down there, but what thing would you want to change about yourself right now? Is it your career, your living situation, your looks, your weight, your physical features, maybe a job? Again, none of these are wrong, but we're going to take a look at all of them at, at, at the end. If I could change blank about myself right now, I would. Then number four is looking at your life. So throughout your life, what have you been most willing to sacrifice for? So whenever you've changed things or made sacrifices, what was that for? You know, worship and sacrifice go hand in hand. You'll see a lot of times in the Old Testament, it talks about sacrificing and, and worship together. What were you willing to sacrifice to gain the favor of? Was it, did you sacrifice for work? Uh, did you sacrifice so that you get a little more alone time? Um, sacrifice for popularity? for being right no matter how much it hurts someone's feelings, for success? What have you sacrificed for in your life? And again, I'd have to say reputation comes up for me. You know, why do I want to be involved in everything? And why do I want to work hard? Because, you know, I want someone saying, you know, great, that's such a great job. You know? And I struggle with that, the approval of others. Number five is, what has made you most bitter in life? What got taken away from you that you just can't get over? Maybe you got passed over for a promotion, or there's an ex-spouse in, in your story and really has kept you from having the family that you deserved, and that you, or maybe you've never been recognized at work or in some function and that there's bitterness there that weighs on you. Number six is what you can't forgive. Uh, David Paulson says that the inability to forgive is almost always connected to an idol in your life. What has someone robbed you of that you can't forgive? And then number seven, we've got three more left. What are you willing to lie for? Ooh, that one. I don't lie. Well, let me 
say the other form of lying that sounds better. What are you willing to exaggerate about? What are you willing to give a partial truth on about? You know, no one lies for kicks, you know, just to lie. Um, what are you protecting when you find that you exaggerate? Is it your reputation? Maybe prosperity or comfort? Maybe uh, so that you can get a little more money? Um, or maybe your truth is exaggerated a little bit. Um, maybe if you go on Instagram and Facebook, you're really not that good looking. No. <laughs> you're really not that happy. You know, but you try to make everything look good in front of others. Number eight would be where do you turn for comfort? Like whenever everything becomes a mess, what do you go to? Is it a substance, drugs, alcohol, a gallon that serving size on ice cream should be at gallons instead of ounces, but, you know, is it a gallon of ice cream, <laughs> you know, uh, just makes me feel good or buying things, you know, uh, you know, I just feel good when I go and I get something off of Amazon or at the mall. And then finally, the last one is, whose approval do you seek? Is there someone or some group you want to hear say, well done? Is it your friends, your husband, your wife, your kids, your dad, your team, your work, Facebook friends, Instagram friends, on Twitter? Whose approval do you seek? So now we've filled in, hopefully, some names some topics. If you look down there, first of all, it, just because you wrote something down doesn't make it bad. There could be good things written down there. But as J.D. Greer was doing this, he said, you know, what I found is there are some things that come up about three times, maybe three or four times. And he goes, you know what, I might start thinking that's an idol. If you look and you see that there's a trend to the things that you wrote down over and over again, is this something that you worship in place of God? And like I said, you'll have things written down and there's nothing wrong with probably anything you wrote down, there's nothing wrong with. But when it becomes an idol is whenever it's written down a few times and it's displacing what God wants to do, you. It becomes the not God in your life. And this can lead to enslavement. And that's what Paul's warning us about. He's saying, look, if you have idols in your life, it's not going to lead to a solution. It's going to lead to, en lead to enslavement. The other thing, too, is I I've kind of got a bunny trail here, and I, I was thinking about whether I should talk about this because it goes down a little trail and I found this very curious, and I felt like I had to share it, because everything I've said so far, I feel, makes sense and is pretty comfortable for the 21st century audience, right? But as I was studying this passage, when I was looking up the Greek word for not God, and I was looking at um, you know, some of the things Rich Nathan had, uh, had talked about this in one of his sermons, and, and some of the other people in the commentaries had talked about that, 
is there's a Greek word there that whenever they interpret not gods, they really have trouble with it. And it's a word that's called stokia. I'm probably not pronouncing it right. But it's a Greek word that sometimes some translations have translated as a natural force, something that's more natural, something that's acceptable to our real and physical systems. You know, you'll hear the, the NIV will say weak and miserable forces or the basic principles of this world, elementary principles of this world, the elements of the world. So very real things. And then some translations, and where this becomes sticky, is that the Greek word tends to um, exhibit personality to this word. That there's actually a person behind it. And so you'll hear this translation, the elemental spirits of the universe, the ruling spirits of the universe. Sometimes not gods are personal, or what's behind them, personal or impersonal forces. And the Old Testament and some of the translators are really recognizing the fact that we have an enemy out there. That some of these things can be powered by uh, demonic forces. That if you look in the Old Testament, the Old Testament hardly talks about demons at all. I mean, just rarely. It's like when Jesus came on the scene, all of a sudden, demonic activity went, you know, but if you look in the Old Testament, they, you, know, you don't hear it talked about a lot. But the one place, the one thing that's associated with demonic forces in the Old Testament is idols. And so sometimes I think, we think, gosh, I'm, I'm struggling with the same time. I'm just eating too much. I go there whenever, every time, and you know, I, I just don't know why. I can't kick this habit, you know, I... There's not really a chemical reason, I don't think, you know, but sometimes we have to realize there's an enemy out there that's spiritual. There's a personality. Think about this. There's a personality that has a plan for your life of three things, and that is to kill you, to steal from you, and to destroy you. That is the plan that our enemy has for us. It's not to comfort us. It's not to to give us freedom. It's to enslave us. And sometimes I think, you know, I, would, I, I was thinking I could just end the message there, not talk about, but sometimes we have to realize there's a spiritual force there trying to empower those natural things in our lives, you know, in curious ways. And I think we need to confront that and realize that. And the, the Bible continually tells us that behind idolatry can be these spiritual forces. And so what's a Christian to do? I mean, you know, how can I combat this? How can I have some practical steps to take to combat idolatry in in our lives? And let me just give you three things. I'm sure that there are more, you know, and these are three things that were kind of on my heart as far as how to practically combat the idols, those, those lists that may have come up and being repeated for those questions. The first is work on your relationship with God. Um, I love, uh, anyone ever see The Karate Kid? Karate Kid, awesome movie, right? And I love uh, Mr. Uh, Niagi, his comment to Daniel. I love this. As Daniel says, how am I going to win every fight? How am I always going to beat my enemy? And, and he says by never being there, 
<laughs> you know, never being where there's a fight to happen. You know, this is kind of like my relationship with God. If I'm re- working on my relationship with God, it seems like my idols start falling away. And so if I actually take an active participation in this wonderful relationship with God, find ways to relate to God more, it seems like my idols fall away. The other thing I would say is go to God and, you know, we've tried to list and you try to evaluate, am I a part of a group that I shouldn't be and stuff like that? Give that to God. Just say, you know, God, I'm a, I, I spent a lot of time in this group. Is this benefiting my relationship with you? And then the other thing is, look, we all mess up. Well, this part of we does, okay? Um, you know, we just need to confess our, our sins and our mess-ups to God. That's it. And then we get new start. God is so all about new starts. So I would say the first thing is, if you do recognize those idols in your life, just confess it to God, and he'll give you a new start. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, I just thank you so much for today. We rely on you. We thank you for this wonderful privilege of freedom and worshiping you. And uh, Lord, I just really pray that even as we worship, if there are things that are coming to our mind that are distracting us, I I pray that we would lay those aside. And Lord, that you would just search our heart. Father God, I am so with David. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Renew a right spirit within me. And Holy Spirit, uh, we just welcome you to this place as we worship God and as we reinitiate our week to follow you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org. lifemohammed.org.